Hey, good morning, everybody. How's it going today? All right. Good to see you guys. Man, what a good day to be in church together. I'm excited to be here. I was, uh, I felt bad. I don't know the guy's name. Uh, sorry, sir, but I was trying to give somebody a fist bump today on the way in, and I, I kind of missed, and then I punched him in the shoulder. If that's you, I'm sorry. And my wife's looking at me like, what are you doing? It's like, when you're on steroids, I don't know, you just do things. Ate too much red meat this week, I guess. Man, I'm excited. How many of you love the Christmas season? Uh, nobody? Yeah. A few people? Okay. I just am unabashedly excited about getting presents. You know what I mean? I'm 35 years old, but I still am excited about opening the presents I picked out and bought for myself. That's <laughs> amazing. My mom actually, she, she uh, always is like, Jake, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And I told her this week, we were down in Medford. I said, Mom, I'm 35 years old. You don't have to buy me presents. And she's like, I'm going to buy you something. So you might as well tell me what you want. And uh, how many of you know your parents, like, they want to bless you. They're going to bless you no matter what. So you just receive it, right? Just receive it. So for me, receiving presents is really, it's, it's honoring my parents. You know, that's what it is. And uh, and honoring the love of my wife who wants to give me presents and my children who, of course, want to use whatever they've saved up working for me at home and their chores this year to buy their father presents. That's fine with me as well. I was having fun. Man, I'm excited. Well, you guys, today, before we jump into the message, I want to share with you what's going to happen after, uh, after the message today. Um, we're, today's our, our day for our legacy offering. Now, uh, I know when a pastor says the word offering, everybody gets uh, nervous and, and all of that, but I don't, you don't need to be nervous. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. And if you call Joy Church home, uh, this is something that we just do in this season at Christmas. We know it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we just reflect God's goodness and generosity towards us. Uh, and in the month of December, we do a legacy or, uh, offering. It's a free will offering. And we just ask everybody, so we've said for the last couple of weeks, just pray and seek God and, and ask him what he would have you to give. And so Bethany and I, we've prayed and, and sought God. He gave us an amount of money that we're giving uh, in the legacy offering. And this year, what, what this project is going to is to our building project. And if you know, we've purchased Skate World uh, over on in Springfield on Gateway Loop, and it's going to be the new home of Joy Church. Yeah. Um, except for that guy. He's scary. We're not going to let him come. I don't know who that guy is, but he's, he's too serious for his own good. How many of you know if the ushers looked like that at the church, just probably find a different one. You know what I mean? Too, too stiff. Anyways, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it definitely won't look this nice when we move in, just in case anybody is uh, uh, thinking it will. Just want to temper your expectations. It still looks like skate world. Um, but we will have heaters. So how many of you are excited? And air conditioning. Yeah. So we decided this year all the, the legacy offering is going to go to this project because we are not, we're not moving there, just so you know. Um, the chairs will be less comfortable than here. Uh, it probably won't be as nice right at first. And so we're not moving there for comfort so that we as a nice group of church people can go have a church and have our own little thing. That is not at all what Joy Church is about. And that's not what we are. Uh, we are a city on a hill. This place, we're only getting this building to be a light and a blessing to the community. So this is a functional useful place where we believe we can use this building to make disciples and share the love of Jesus with more people, which is the point of what we're doing. Come on. So uh, we're, we're, we're pretty loud and proud about our culture and our mission and vision at Joy Church. We've been loud and proud about what we're all about since the very beginning. The very first message that I ever preached at Joy Church was about reaching people 
with the gospel. And so our, we exist as a family, as a group of people to share the love of Christ with our community and, and bring light into a dark place and bring people in. And so that's what our new place is about. And so everything that, if whatever God's put in your heart to give in the legacy offering, it's going to go to that project. As you know, the vision is to build an indoor kids playground inside. Uh, we're going to do so many amazing things. We want it to be a hub for the community. So we're going to have that opportunity right after the service today. If, you, if this is the first time you've heard about it, then just uh, surreptitiously take some time to uh, pray and ask God what he would have you give. How many of you learned a new word today? Uh, all right, you can look it up after service. And, uh, but you could pray. I might even have used it wrong. Somebody will correct me. There's always someone that will correct the pastor, even though the Bible says you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? No, I don't think so. You can correct me on that too. Uh, but we're going to jump in today into the message, and I'm excited. We're in a, a micro-series. Uh, Nikki Dasso did a phenomenal job last week sharing. Give her a big hand. She's, there she is right there. She's actually going to come up and sing a special today. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, uh, what an awesome, awesome job. And then uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be wrapping up the Christmas Stories series today and uh, jumping in. So with Christmas Stories, you know, the, we all kind of get to hear the the famous uh, characters in the Christmas story. You get to hear about all the, the really famous people. Like, who are some of the famous characters in the Christmas story? Just yell them out. Yeah, Jesus. He's kind of a big deal in it. Uh, somebody said Moses. That's incorrect. Um, no. Mary. Okay, yeah, safe answer. That's good, yeah. Joseph, the wise men, right? The wise guys. Uh, who else? shepherds. Okay, so we know the story, right? How many of you are like, yeah, I heard it. I know the story. So the Christmas story, and we know the famous characters. Well, I, I'm just, I mean, I think they've had enough time, enough airtime. We're going to go a different direction today. So I'm going to talk about somebody who usually is not part of the story, who doesn't factor in as a very um, important and or likable character. We're going to talk about the innkeeper. The innkeeper. You nailed it. You got it. That's awesome. I don't have anything for you, but I applaud your effort. <laughs> Someday someone will buy you lunch, and I just prophesy that right now. I'm not saying it's going to be me. No, I'm just kidding. Emma got it. So somebody needs to buy her lunch at the place we're choosing today. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. You threw me off, Emma. All right, so the innkeeper. Um, I'm going to give you guys the Olaf version. Have you seen uh, Frozen 2? Yeah. When Olaf, he's the little snowman, he recaps the first movie. It's, it's a brilliant moment of cinema. And uh, Olaf does the whole story. I won't do it as good as him, but I mean, let me just give you the traditional Christmas story. So it starts off Joseph and Mary. Uh, Mary, you know, has some news and this situation happens and she's pregnant. Uh, it's the, you know, immaculate conception. We're not going to go into details or, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but it's a miracle. And, uh, and so there's this whole situation and angels are showing up and they're telling Joseph it's okay. Like this is God's behind this and he's up to something and, and all this stuff's going on. And then they find out that they have to go to Bethlehem where Joseph is from because there's a census. The Roman government that is ruling over Israel at the time says we need everybody to go back to their home. You guys following with me? You, you've heard this kind of stuff. So what we always see in like the traditional movies and the, the Christmas stuff that we see uh, when you're growing up in church or whatever, even on flannel graphs, is like this harried, hurried, you know, middle of the night. Joseph's like, okay, Mary, you're nine, we nine months and two weeks pregnant. Now get on a donkey and we're going to take you 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And in the middle of the night, they, they, they screech into Bethlehem, you know, and they, and they're, they're knocking on doors and they're desperate. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And she's, oh, 
going into labor pains, right? You know what I'm saying? You're not amening enough for me today. I'm doing my best, okay? And so they, they, they get into Bethlehem and they're knocking on doors and they go to the inn and here's the inn and the light's on and it's like the Shiloh Inn, you know what I mean? Or the Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you. And they're knocking and then the innkeeper, right? And this, this character, you're like, what's wrong with that guy, right? Because he's like, we don't have room for you. You have to go, we have this barn, this stable. And this is the, the story that we hear, right? That we see. And we're kind of like, ah, what a jerk. Like they made a pregnant woman and having a baby. Also, it wasn't even just any baby. It was the baby Jesus. He didn't know that, right? But that's how we kind of, we kind of villainize this character, right? And, and the innkeeper and sends him off to have the baby in a manger. So that's the traditional story. But actually, the real story is kind of different. It's actually a lot less dramatic, more boring, and it makes more sense. And I think actually in a roundabout way, it is actually better for you and I, because it has some lessons embedded in it that I think maybe will help us today. So here's the the real story in Luke chapter two. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He had to go there, it says, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. The reason they had to go is because there was a census. They had to go back to their ancestral home to be counted. And it says in verse six, while they were there, Okay, so this isn't in the middle of the night. Uh, this isn't a, you know, barely screech into town at, the, at the, the stroke of midnight knocking on doors. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So actually there's a time uh, expanse here. I don't think Joseph was bringing his pregnant wife on a donkey at the last minute. Sorry to wreck your fantasy. I'm ruining your Christmas, aren't I? Sorry. Yes. This look like I should wear a Grinch costume with this message. The baby, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And it says she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I think this is New, new International Version, NIV. Uh, and it actually uses the word guest room because when we've gone back historically and looked at Bethlehem and, and instead of reading it with modern eyes, if we actually read what is actually being said here, it's probably not middle of the night, last minute, uh, kind of a, a thing. They were there for a period of time. Also, there is no Motel 6 in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. This isn't like when you are, you know, trying to find a hotel room in a city and there's a sporting event or a conference or something and there's no rooms. That's not what's going on. Bethlehem is a small village and there's no reason to go there unless you have to go there. There's no place to stay. There's no, there's no, um, there's no hotel. So this idea of an inn, when you hear the word inn, what do you instantly think of? Radisson, Hilton, Motel 6, one of those places that you pay by the hour on 6th Street. Like you think about that. Don't, nobody raises their hand, right? I'm just keeping you awake, right? So you think about a place that you go pay to stay, right? We think about a hotel, we think about an inn, but actually We've looked into this. This isn't what is happening. There's, it's actually, there is not really a hotel. This person, this innkeeper is probably a relative or a friend. And at this time in history, they'd have a house. And on the top floor, there'd be rooms where the family lived. And on the bottom floor would be a place for their animals, kind of like a manger or barn or whatever. And what's happening here is that the family has come to Bethlehem. They've showed up and here's Joseph and Mary and they probably got there a little late or whatever. And Aunt Myrtle was already in the upper room and already taken the guest room. And they said, sorry guys, sorry, Joseph, but you guys are gonna have to be in the lower floor, which was a normal occasion and occurrence 
at this time in history when your room was all full. In the same way, like at my house, we have three bedrooms upstairs and the kids have one and Grandma Esther has the other and all of my expensive musical equipment and computer gear is in the other and that belongs there. Nobody's allowed to go in there. So when we have guests, they have to sleep on an air mattress in the living room, right? And it's not because we don't like them or we're mean or whatever. That's the place that we have available for them, okay? So how many of you know, how many of you are like, you ruined my whole vision of Christmas? Like you messed it up, Pastor Jake, and I'm so upset. You wrecked it. Well, here's the thing. This innkeeper is not this callous business owner sending this family, the holy family, out into the cold. They're probably a relative and they're not in sin and they're not doing the wrong thing. There just literally wasn't room. But the thing about this is don't you think later, maybe 30, 40 years later, when Jesus has grown up and they've recognized that he's the son of God, maybe this relative is still alive and people are like, hey, Bob, remember that one time when you wouldn't let the baby Jesus be born in your house? And instead you had Aunt Myrtle up there in that room and she was horrible to all of us. She didn't leave us any money and she died two weeks later. And all she left you was a shawl. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny to me. That, I... Sometimes the jokes are for the, the, the giver, not the receiver, right? And uh, think about this guy. that he, he missed out, and it wasn't because of sin or whatever. There just wasn't room. But here's the thing. When God shows up to do extraordinary things, he does them on ordinary days. You know, God doesn't give you a heads up when he's going to do something amazing and miraculous in your life, because if he did, you'd get ready for it, and it would wreck it. How many of you would instantly become more of a Christian than you are right now if you knew God was going to show up in a big way in your life this week? Here comes God. He's going to come and do a miracle. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm giving more in the offering today. Yes, I believe, pastor in the vision. You know, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to find a homeless person and give them five bucks and buy them a sandwich. Like I'm going to do anything I can do to sort of get myself all gustied up to, to be ready for what God's going to do. But that's not what happens God does extraordinary things on ordinary days. And one of the things you'll see with all the stories in the Bible, including the Christmas story with Joseph and Mary, is it's exceptionally ordinary until it's not. You see, God works in mysterious ways, as it's been said, but he, he works through the very ordinary day-to-day, living and breathing and walking and talking and everything we do as human beings. And then he shows up. And what you'll see in the Bible stories is there's always this element of surprise. In fact, a lot of times when angels show up or God shows up in these moments, people are like scared, freaked out, and totally blown away by what's going on. And there wasn't like this fair warning, like, you know, hey, I'm coming to do something amazing, right? It just comes on ordinary days. God does extraordinary things on ordinary days. So what do we do? How do we respond to this lesson that God does extraordinary things on ordinary days? We can make room in our life. You see, this innkeeper, this relative, or this person, they're not in sin, but there wasn't room. And that's okay. And obviously I'm just adding something to the story here, but I want us to take a lesson from this. What is happening in your life if you're too busy, too full, too maxed out for what God wants to do, that extraordinary thing? Has the day-to-day, has the normal, the ordinary life filled up every space and cavity, and now there's no more room for God? And so today what I want to talk about is this, ways for us to make room in the ordinary day-to-day living, ways for us to make room for God to do extraordinary things this Christmas. I want to give you six things in total, and then we'll go eat something delicious. Number one, 
this Christmas, we need to make room for reconciliation. How many of you would say we're not overmaxed out, we're not abundantly overflowing in the world with peace? Right? There's conflict, there's war, there's anger, there's contention, there's division. And you know, Christmas, this season, it's marked by this word peace. We hear about Christmas, you know, it's peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And yet in life, so many times, there's so much contention and anger and, and fighting. And the Christian message, one of the most beautiful things that Jesus introduced into this broken world was the concept of forgiveness, the concept of reconciliation, the concept of mercy. Forgiveness is very interesting because forgiveness really is only necessary or possible when someone has actually done something wrong. You know, when, when you don't have to forgive me if I've not done something wrong. When forgiveness is necessary is when an actual problem or crime or act has been committed against you. How many of you know people have hurt you in life and you've hurt others, right? And so forgiveness, the ability to let someone else go and let their, not hold them to this thing that they've done, it's a, it's a uniquely divine thing. It's a uniquely Christian thing. It comes from Christ. And Christmas is a perfect time to make room for reconciliation. Here's the question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? You go, yeah, but you don't know what they did. No, I don't. But here's what I do know is that if, if, if we don't break the cycle of, of revenge, if we don't break the cycle of taking a pound of flesh because you did this to us, you did this to me, then it goes on in per perpetuity. It just goes on and on and on. And you think about what Jesus did is there was a, a war, a crisis of sorts between God and man, our sin. And God said, I'm going to have the final word, but the final word is not going to be me bringing the ax down upon you and, and bringing judgment, which we deserve. But the final word is going to be a word of reconciliation that by what Christ did for us at the cross, we could be made right with God. And this is a part of what Jesus, it's a big part of what Jesus came to do. It's what Christmas is about, peace on earth. But it starts in a very ordinary way with us being willing to forgive those that have actually hurt us. Now, this doesn't mean that we take away wisdom or boundaries or if there's toxic people, whatever. You don't, it doesn't mean you have to go have tea with that person every day. But are you holding on to someone in your heart in bitterness and unforgiveness that Jesus is asking you to let go and let their crime be upon his shoulders when he gave his life at the cross? And so this Christmas, I want to challenge us to make room for reconciliation. This allows us to break the cycle. Many years ago, Bethany and I had an opportunity to go to Northern Ireland and go on a black taxi tour. And our taxi driver, his name was Bill Ireland. You can't make this stuff up. And our, uh, our bus driver uh, on our honeymoon in, in the UK, in England, was named Keith English or Peter English, one of those. It was some very, very British name, but with the last name English. You can't make this stuff up. And Bill Ireland in Northern Ireland, he's taking us all around Belfast and he drove us through the neighborhoods where they had what was called the Troubles. And how many of you are familiar with the Troubles? It was the, the conflict between Catholics and Protestants. And he showed us a place where even, I think it was 2011 or 2010 when we were in Northern Ireland, uh, many, many years beyond when the Troubles were kind of active or whatever, where they had actually had to build what they call a peace wall. Uh, and it really has nothing to do with peace. The reason the wall exists is because people were throwing firebombs over the shorter wall at each other in the Catholic and the Protestant neighborhoods. And they had to build a taller wall. It was like 30 feet high because they had to get beyond where somebody could actually throw a bomb to the people on the other side. 
And when you think about that, it makes no sense. It's like, why are you fighting and so upset? But here's the thing. At one point, someone did something to your side, so you reacted and did something to theirs. And now you go, well, now we're even, but you're not, because now it goes back and forth and back and forth. And it goes on and on and on until somebody says, it's enough, it's over, and I'm going to work for peace and forgiveness and reconciliation. And Christmas is the perfect time to, to embrace this message and make room in our life, in our ordinary things. Do you know how powerful it is when a Christian or just anyone forgives another person? You've literally done something that is supernatural. You, you, you've introduced into this broken world system some sort of a piece of heaven that is subversively good and actually begins to re bring uh, order and, and, and God's plan into this place. It's an amazing thing and you can participate in that this year. Make room for reconciliation. Number two, we need to make room for rest. Everybody go, ah, oh. because we're so busy, aren't we? We're busy doing all the things, but God created us with this need to, to actually rest. And here's what rest does for us, you guys. And I, I'm going to be transparent with you. I don't like to rest. I like to work. I like to, I like to do stuff. I like to be productive. But rest does something absolutely incredible. Rest recognizes that you don't make the world go round. The world does not revolve around you and you don't make the world go round. And rest in this way is a recognition of, the, of God's sovereignty over all things and the ability to recognize that you can take a break and the world still goes on without you and everything is okay. And actually it's an act of worship. It's a recognition, I'm not God, there is a God and I can actually rest in trust, in peace, and God still has control. God still is in control and things are still gonna go on. The world is gonna continue to operate. How many of you know we need to do this, right? Because we're busy people. We're, we're always doing things. So let me give you permission in Jesus' name. Ladies, watch those Hallmark movies. Come on. Get yourself a Snuggie at Costco and wear that sucker. Do you know what a Snuggie is? If you don't, God bless you. Yeah, you have one, that's awesome. Snuggie is uh, something that you shouldn't wear in public, but at home, you do you, boo. <laughs> but like, it's okay. You have permission to slow down and trust God that he's got it and let that happen. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. And it's an act of worship. Number three, we need to make room for repentance. Repentance. What does repentance mean? Repentance means doing a 180. It means you're going one direction and you come to your senses and you turn and you start going another direction. Repentance is where you recognize you're, you're going the wrong way and, and you say, God, I, I'm sorry for that and I'm gonna stop going the wrong way and I'm gonna turn around. So here's the question for you today. When's the last time you had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with God about the direction you're headed and the decisions that you're making? And you go, well, I've been a Christian for, you know, da da da, da. I don't need to repent. Hmm. My guess is that if we would take the time to slow down enough, and be alone with our thoughts. This is why we don't like to rest, isn't it? Because we actually are fairly tormented in those quiet moments where all of a sudden all the, the garbage sort of seeps up to the surface and we recognize there's a lot of things out of sorts in our life. When's the last time you took the space and the time to just get with God in an act of humility, transparency, and repentance and say, Lord, I'm gonna open the, 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 that treasure chest in my heart. I'm gonna open the vulnerable place and I'm gonna submit my plans to you. This is the direction I've been heading and you go, well, yeah, but I'm not in any kind of like open, bad, really big deal sin. That doesn't, that's okay. Good for you. Uh, you're, you. It'll help you in life. But I'm not just talking about that. 
What about even the good things that you're doing? What about the way that you think is the right way? What, it, what about just getting vulnerable with God and opening up and having that heart to heart and saying, God, examine my ways, look at me and show me, is there any part of me? Is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything that I could change? Maybe repentance isn't gonna be the full 180. Maybe it's gonna be a slight adjustment, but it's important for us to make room. And it's not just at Christmas, guys, it's all the time, but at Christmas, especially in this season, to make room for repentance. Remember, we're talking about God doing extraordinary things on ordinary days. And maybe a very, very regular ordinary Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday could be your moment to get vulnerable with God where he brings some direction and some repentance in your life. And here's the thing, repentance is so refreshing. I remember when I was a kid, I, was a, I grew up in an, a time in a space in an era uh, where uh, my parents uh, actually spanked us. I know that's horribly offensive to some of you. Um, but I don't care. And uh, um, it really wounded us. I mean, it was the psychosis that came of like being well-behaved and respectful um, really wounded me. But anyways, um, I'm having fun. My dad, whenever he could be motivated to actually provide discipline, because most of the time, how many of you know dads? Like, you're really not interested in discipline. You'd rather just watch the football game. So it really required a lot for us to get my dad off the couch, like to have a moment of discipline so we'd get a spanking and, oh, dad, you know, and it was more bark than bite, to be honest, you know, he would make a show, you know, and, 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 oh, dad. and then he would say, okay, it's over. Give me a hug. No, I'm sorry, daddy. It's okay. Let's play now. You know what I think reflects the heart of God more? It's not time out, not being in the doghouse. Most of us think of God as sort of like the, the very disapproving kind of a taskmaster at a school who isn't allowed to touch you. So they just basically put you in the corner and you, you kind of carry around this woundedness and rejection in your heart. And you kind of think of God, God's more like my dad. You get a spanking when you do something wrong and then it lets play now and it's over. And let me just tell you how awesome that is. Because when you re receive the discipline of God, yeah, it goes, whoo, that hurt. But guess what? Now it's time to play. Now it's back to the joy and the fun. And I know I could just feel some people are offended today and I love it because if you don't get offended at church, like it's too quiet, you can feel offendedness, right? I can feel it. I have an offense meter. It's like, and I can feel it. And honestly, like you need it, like take your medicine because the reality is that many of us have a really stupid view of God. And honestly, God is, is so much, he, he, does he discipline? Yes, but it comes from love because he's bringing us back on track. And when you get this principle in your life of like, I can go to God and I can have done some really dumb stuff, but if I repent and, and he's it, 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 right back to the fun, right back to the blessing, right back to the joy. God doesn't own a doghouse. You, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't put you in time out. There's people in the Bible that did really ridiculously bad stuff. And then God's like, okay, you're back in the game. And you know what? That's offensive to me as the self-righteous Pharisee. <laughs> what about making room for, for, for repentance this Christmas? Psalm 51, where David has just gone through some like horrendously dumb, bad sin. I mean, he had an affair. He had the, 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 the guy, the husband of the woman he had, that he actually raped. Um, he had him murdered. Like he doesn't deserve to be able to ask God for forgiveness and move on. Now, there's consequences that happen, but listen to this psalm that comes out of this place of repentance. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 
Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. How many people right now are walking around with a heart that is full of sin and, and it's not God who will judge you. You're judging yourself and if you'd release it to him and give it to him and repent, he's gonna take that away and restore the joy and restore the blessing. Is it okay if we like preach the Bible and talk about the real stuff that matters or should we just like give like nice platitudes? Is it? Okay, we'll keep doing the Bible. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Let's make room for repentance this Christmas in Jesus' name. Number four, make room for relationship. I wanna encourage you this Christmas, open your home in hospitality. Take the time to sit down with somebody, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea. Sit down and without an agenda, just to enjoy and reflect upon the worth and value of another person, not for what they can do for you, but for who they are, made in the image of God. It doesn't have to be a religious gathering. I think, I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna stop. I have a lot of things to say about this, but relationships, we do our best as a church. We try to, we try to foster relationships, but the reality is, Sometimes we mess it up because we make it too institutional, don't we? It's like, well, we, we, now I'm going to joy group and now I'm gonna have a religious gathering. Like just go and hang out with people and love Jesus together and like you'll get the right thing, right? But make room for relationship. What, what, what does this look like in our lives to make room for relationship, to spend time with your family, with friends, real quality time with people? Now, being honest with you, like I'm not good at this. I'm very comfortable by myself with my old dusty books and my thoughts and, and, and my organ ducks, you know, research that I do. Because I think if I read more about them, we'll win more games. You know, I don't know what it, what it is. The other day, though, I was, uh, I was, I was working on my computer and, and Bethany was, was doing some shopping for Christmas. And I was working, it was maybe six, seven o'clock at night. And I was click, click clacking away on my computer doing stuff. And the kids were in the other room watching Home Alone, which is an awesome movie to show your kids until you realize they're learning how to do all these things to you. And I'm, I'm clacking away on my computer, I'm doing my work and the kids are in there and they're chattering. And in a moment of sanity, I recognized, what am I doing? I'm sitting here on my computer working, doing what I think seems important right now in the moment and I'm missing an opportunity to be with my kids. So I go into the, the family room, I sit down on the couch and all my kids climbed on top of me. And they're not little kids anymore. My, <laughs> it wasn't comfortable. But I could, I could, I had Jack in my lap and I could feel his, you know, hair, his floppy hair. He needs a haircut all the time, kid. And here's my girls that are on me and they're all sitting on me and they're, they're yelling in my ear and they're getting germs on me and peanut butter. And just what a glorious, extravagant, moment. And I'm recognizing in this moment, this, this is my real riches. Like what I thought was important, what was, what was important for a moment that no one will, won't matter to anybody if I get that email out or that message written or whatever. This is the moment. It's the relationship. What if we recognize that the people around us are the true treasure and our capacity to journey and walk with people for 70 or 80 years is a gift. Each person that you're around, C.S. Lewis talks about this, the person that you that you work with, that you see on the subway, that you might snub or, or criticize or whatever, they are going to 
have an eternity. You might be sitting with somebody who you hate their politics, but you're going to sit right next to them at the table in heaven. What if we were able to look past all the stuff that we think matters right now and really lean into the value of people? I mean, it's not just your, your family, it's your friends. And it's not just your friends, it's the people that aren't your friends. It's even your enemies. What if we made room for relationship? It's a powerful, powerful thing. And then number five, this is just to, to thwart my naysayers. This one does not start with R. So we had reconciliation, rest, repentance, relationship, and this one is make room for generosity. Two reasons. One, I wanted to just break my tendencies because I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a perfectionist and I prefer it started with R, but sometimes you just got to like hang loose and just be crazy, right? Let your hair flow in the wind. So this is me doing that, right? Pastor Jake, you were out of control this Sunday. I know, I know. Also, I couldn't figure out what to start with R that made sense here. So we just went with this. This Christmas, let's make room for generosity. Now you're like, oh yeah, you're taking the, you're receiving the, the legacy offering for the church. So we're talking about that. Actually, no, um, you pray about that and you let that be between you and God. And that, that's something, you know, if you're part of Joy Church, we'll do that. I don't, I don't want to, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about with this is, what if this uh, Christmas you just said, well, we're going to set aside 50 or $100 or $20, whatever it is, just to be generous to somebody in the world, here in our community or whatever. Maybe you find somebody less fortunate or maybe it's somebody that is totally fortunate, but you just want to bless them. You know why? Because it's good for your soul. It's good for our soul to be generous and to reflect that God's given us something and just given us so much blessing and that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So here's the challenge. However you take this and whatever God puts in your heart, just practice generosity, make room and watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. When we give, it makes room for God to move into that space that was vacated by whatever that thing was. You with me? When we make room for God and we forgive somebody, we make room for reconciliation, he comes into that space. We make room for rest and we let some of that busyness and that striving kind of go. God occupies that space. We make room for repentance and we let go of some of the sin and the baggage and the burden we've been carrying around. God occupies that space. We make room for relationship. Not only do we get the benefit and the value of that person and that time with them, which is irreplaceable and really truly the most valuable thing, but God steps in. And when we make room for generosity, God steps in. So let's make room this Christmas for God to do extraordinary things on what otherwise would be very ordinary days. Making room for him. And then last, but very much not least, we need to make room for Jesus. Now, I know you might be here thinking, well, of course you would say that. You have to say that. You're, this is a church and you're a pastor and you preach and we have to talk about Jesus. Well, actually, we don't talk about Jesus every week because we have to. We talk about it because we absolutely have to because it's the most important thing. There's no religion here, though. It's all about relationship. And if everybody's dying of thirst and somebody knows where water is, they better yell about it as loud as they can and as much as they can to tell people where it is. And I'm just another beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. Come on. And the reality is, apart from, any of the, apart from Jesus, we can't do any of the things that I just taught you. It all starts with us trusting in the work of Jesus. And that's what Christmas is about, that God looked at our mess and he came down and invaded our space. And Jesus was born in the muck, in the mire, not having room for him, in a manger. And he lived his life sinless and perfect, going through all temptation and trial and pain, and yet without sin, and then he gave his perfect sinless life for us at the cross, which we'll celebrate in a couple months at Easter. And he rose from the dead. 
But it started in this place of Christmas. It started at Christmas with him coming into our story. And so our story, our journey begins right here, making room for Jesus, saying, I don't have it in myself. I can't do it. I need Jesus. And so I want to challenge you today. Maybe you filled your life with with arrogant pride, thinking you can do this on your own. I can be a good person all by myself. No, you can't. Maybe you think, well, I'm not really, there, I, I, can, I, can, I can get where I want to go in life. I have what I need. No, make room for Jesus. I'm pleading with you today, make room for Jesus. And you go, well, I'm already a Christian. Good, make more room for Jesus. How many of you know it's like a marriage? When I, I said yes, I do to my wife, March 17th, 2007. But marriage isn't just about the, that one moment of surrender and commitment. It's about every day saying yes, and I do again and again and again and again. And so maybe you're a person who's a, a Christ follower. You can say yes to Jesus today. I want to finish with this scripture verse in Revelations chapter three. This is a, a, the, the, Jesus speaking this message to the church here and says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. This is Jesus speaking to this church. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. And listen to this next verse. Because we all heard the part about lukewarm. Ah, if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out of his mouth. Well, I want you to hear the heart of Jesus though. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The heart of Christ is not this judgmental thing of if you're lukewarm, I'm gonna get ready. That's not, everybody quotes that part, but you have to take the whole context. What he's saying is, look, you are indifferent to me because you think that all these things you've filled your life with, the riches and all of this, and that you have it all and you have no need. And so you're just indifferent. You're just lukewarm. You have a divided heart. And what Jesus is saying to this church and what he's saying to us today is I'm here and I'm knocking on the door of your heart because the purpose, what I want to do is I want to sit together and share a meal as friends. If you will make room, I will occupy that space and this relationship will be the end destination. How many of you want that kind of relationship with Christ? What's so amazing is it's accessible and available to us all the time, not just at Christmas. The gift that God gave us at the first Christmas was the gift of Jesus. That's the gift that keeps on giving like every day, whether it's December 25th or June 25th, like that gift is available for us to receive Christ. And that's what we're gonna do right now. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you wanna make that decision to start following him, I wanna ask you to put your faith in him today. Begin to trust him with your life. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make this decision to make room in my life for him. I want to be his friend. I want him to take away my sin and forgive me and give me a new life and a brand new heart. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see? And this is just for you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. This is for you. You're just making this commitment, this faith step. Thank you. Thank you. And let's all pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. I repent for my sin, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.